Uh, if you've looked at your notes, the title is Harp and Bowl Prayer. If you don't understand what that means, that's okay. I'm going to explain it to you. Uh, and honestly, it's, a, it's, a, it's in a sense a biblical term. You'll see why. Uh, but it's just a term that International House of Prayer came up with for uh, night and day prayer that they've been doing for 20-some years. Uh, so that's pretty cool. 24-7, 20-some years prayer. Anybody impressed with that? Yeah. So uh, we're gonna, we've, we've done this a lot, actually, for 20-some years here. Uh, I can remember being at Hobby's Church, what, 15 or 18 years ago, doing Harp and Bowl prayer meetings, right? Uh, so uh, it's not new, but I realize that uh, maybe new to some of you, so we'll make sure you understand. Now, I'm going to talk about prayer and worship today, and I'm, I'm going to review some things that we've already talked about a little bit, uh, and then go on into this, and understand that this is going to be a, a portion of this that is audience participation. You're going to have an opportunity to participate, but, I, uh, but not just any way you want. You have to do what uh, I tell you to do. So, uh, let's try that, okay? All right. So, just beginning, I want to review a couple things. We've already talked in recent weeks about how we are the temple and the dwelling place of God. One of my favorite scriptures, I've been really praying into this scripture every week, uh, Ephesians 2, right at the end where it says, we are being built together into a spiritual house, a dwelling place of God in the spirit. I just like that visual. I like the thought that we and the church in Brevard County are being built together into a house because God wants to dwell there in our midst, in the Spirit. That sounds like fun. So I'm going for that. Uh, we talked about the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21 being both a city, an actual city. We get the dimensions of it and how it's built and what it's made of. But also it is the bride of Christ. It's the church and it's a city. And so uh, we get that we are His temple in his dwelling place, and I want to talk a little bit more about what that means. First of all, that means uh, we are a house of prayer. We get that out of Isaiah 56, verse 7. Everybody knows that verse. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, right? Now, I don't know what exactly qualifies us as a house of prayer, uh, but I suspect it might be more than one prayer meeting a week on like a Wednesday night attended by eight people. Amen. I'm not sure that that makes us a house of prayer. Now, I'm not trying to be snarky. I'm just trying to be real. I've been in a lot of prayer meetings, and uh, usually the women outnumber the men. That bugs me, men. Just saying. Just, you know, right up there, looking in the eye. Man up. Okay. Usually, I get real excited if our prayer meetings have about 10% of the church there, uh, which sometimes happens. That's, that's kind of our peak. That's our high. Um, and uh, it's just hard to get people praying. Even when you get a good prayer meeting going on, it's hard for it to not turn into a talk meeting. How many of you have been in a prayer meeting and turned into a talk meeting? Only one hand. That can only mean you haven't been in a prayer meeting. Holy cow. Okay, again, I'm not trying to pick on you guys. I'm trying to get us to see that we may have been, we may not have put the value on this that God puts on this. 
this prayer thing. And so uh, my evidence in the church is that we haven't. And, and I don't just talk about church in the rock. I mean all over. We don't understand the power of prayer, and so we don't do it. If we really understood it, we'd do it. Uh, and Isaiah 56, 7 also says that my people shall be joyful in my house of prayer. So it's not supposed to be a tedious, all right, the pastor told me I got to go pray, told, told me I wasn't a man. I'm going to the next prayer meeting, you know. It's supposed to be joyful. God designed it that way. So we got to figure out how to have joyful prayer because that's, that's the design. And uh, I believe uh, we're going to see some of that here in a minute. So his house, this temple that we are, is a house of prayer. It's also a house of worship. It's supposed to be a house of worship. Now, I love this. In John chapter 4, Jesus goes to this well uh, in Samaria, wasn't supposed to go to Samaria, it bugged all the disciples. What are we doing in Samaria? We could go around Samaria. We don't like Samarians. You know, the Jews and Samarians, it's like Ohio State and Michigan. So uh, don't even say those words, you know. Uh, so uh, <laughs> that's the best example I can think of. And uh, so he's there, and he meets the woman at the well, remember, and she figures out he's a prophet because he tells her about all the guys she's married. And so uh, she says, I perceive you're a prophet. I want to worship, but I don't know where to worship. The Samaritans say we do it on this mountain. You Jews say we do it in Jerusalem. What's the deal? And he goes, well, salvation is of the Jews, but honestly, your question isn't going to matter anymore because it's not about the place. It's not about where. He says, God, uh, the time is coming and now is when uh, God uh, will worship neither there nor here, but because God is looking for people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. He says, God desires such. Now, catch that. This is a simple phrase. God is looking for people to worship Him, and He wants it to be in spirit and truth. He doesn't want it to be about the place. He wants it to be about Him. God is looking for people to worship Him. So, His house should be a house of worship. Now, that we do a little better on. Most churches do, because uh, worship is fun. The reason worship is fun is because worship brings the presence of God. Uh, Psalm 22, 3, you dwell in or are enthroned in or inhabit the praises of Israel. There is something about praise where God will just come and stand right in the middle of it, right? And that's biblical. And so we like worship because God comes and stands here. Prayer is harder because sometimes uh, we're doing it. We're not sure if God's listening. He is. It just doesn't feel like it sometimes, right? And so, house of prayer, house of worship, presence. Not surprisingly, presence might be the part that makes prayer fun. And if we could figure out a way to mix worship in with the prayer. Uh, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, that's where we're going. Now, we also talked about, when we were talking about unity, we talked about the place of unity being in God. We aren't unified in our doctrine or our activities and things like that. We're actually, our activities are diverse. What we're unified in is being in Him. John 17, 21. Jesus prays that we would be in Him in the same way He is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus, that we would be in Him like that. That's the place of unity. We have to learn how to meet in Jesus. And I told you that prayer and worship is how we go there. It's how we get in Him. It's how we get into the meeting place. So 
what I want you to see this morning as we talk about this is that prayer and worship are essential activities. It's not uh, just, this isn't a buffet and there are options. You come to church and you love Jesus and I know you like prayer and you like worship and you like teaching and you like evangelism and you like praying for the sick and we all just do what we like and it all kind of works out. Well, there's some truth to that in that we do have different gifts and callings and emphasis, but all of those are to be undergirded by these two essential activities, prayer and worship. They fuel those other things. So even if you are, and by the way, if you're not into prayer and you're not into worship, I just want you to know you might not want to go to heaven. You'll see in the rest of this teaching that appears to be mostly what's going on. So, uh, my point is this. Those things fuel the other things. Uh, you can't just go, well, I'm, I'm into teaching and evangelism, so I, really, I, I come late and I skip worship and I don't really go to the prayer meeting. Uh, somebody has to pray for your evangelism to be effective. It could be you. It could be someone else. I love the Moravians. No one works unless someone prays. And they were tremendously evangelism. Guys, I will tell you absolutely with confidence from my uh, not small study of church history that we will get more evangelism, more uh, better teaching, uh, more miracles and activity of the Holy Spirit if we learn to prioritize prayer and worship. I guarantee it. I will guarantee it. We'll get more of that stuff that you like because it Prayer and worship is what fuels it. So that's what I want you to see. Now, that brings us to harp and bowl prayer. Let me show you what that is. It comes out of Revelation chapter 5. Harp and bowl prayer is simply prayer in a worship environment because God inhabits praises. It's fun when God's there. Worship is joyful. We throw a little prayer in with it. We've got joyful prayer. Now we're doing Isaiah 56, 7. It's really that simple. Uh, I have a lot of fun in heart and bowl prayer services. Uh, we've had amazing things happen. I've had encounters with God. Uh, it's just a blast. Um, you should try it. So, in fact, we will in just a couple minutes, okay? Ready? All right. Not sure. Everybody's not sure what I'm going to do to you yet. It's all right. It'll be good. Heart and bowl prayer is just prayer in a worship environment. It's just mixing the two together. And it comes out of Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. So, in this... I want you to see this picture. We've got the elders, the 24 elders in heaven, which are probably uh, the 12 apostles and uh, the 12 patriarchs. Anyway, we've got the 24 elders in heaven, and they're going to a meeting at the throne of God, and they bring two things with them, only two things. We should pay attention to this. The elders that sit in thrones around God's throne, up there by Jesus, are only bringing two things to the meeting in heaven. Again, we ought to think about this. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp. What do you think that represents? Yeah, worship. Very simple. And golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Don't you have to interpret that? That's real simple. They took prayer and they took worship. We're going to a meeting. Before the throne of God, what are you going to bring? I'm going to bring prayer and worship. That's all I got. I'm just taking those two. Anything else will work out. Okay? So, uh, incense, the prayers of the saints, 
and they sang. And the whole rest of chapter 5 is just the overhead of the words. And you can sing along. Uh, this, the song they sang, maybe we'll do it later, uh, Before the Throne of God. It's a good song. It's really, in fact, we'll get into it in the future. I'm going to develop this some more later, and we'll get into that more. Um, so what I want you to see is harp and bowl prayer is simply uh, a harp and a bowl full of prayer. It's just, it's just mixing prayer and worship. It's not any more complicated than that. It's not that deep a theological term. It just means mixing prayer and worship. Are you with me? So what I want you to get is this. The elders in heaven are equipped for only two activities, prayer and worship, when they go before the throne of God. One of those requires our participation. And here's what I mean by that. Let's say Peter is heading for his throne, uh, going to you know worship God, and he grabs his harp, and he grabs a bowl, and he just grabs one at random, and he gets there, and he looks down, and he goes, oh, this one says Melbourne, Florida. And he wants to worship, and he wants to offer prayers before the throne of God. And he looks in there, and whatever we have done is in there. Peter only has what we've done. Amen. Now, I don't know if there's a Melbourne, Florida bowl or a Church in the Rock bowl. or I don't know how the bowls are labeled. If any of you go to heaven, you can tell me. But I like to think we got a bowl. We had a, they'll know it, we had a saying back in the Fireweather days when we were doing Harp and Bowl. What was our saying? Put something in the bowl. Put something in the bowl. It's that simple. I don't know how to pray real good. I don't care. Put something in the bowl. Is this right? Put something in the bowl. Put something in the bowl. We got a bowl in heaven. One of the apostles is going to grab it and take it before the throne of God. And I want there to be something in there. You with me? Okay. So that's it. That's all we're doing. We're putting something in the bowl. Now, here's what I want you to see. The importance of prayer and worship, and then we're going to try and do a little bit of this. Um, prayer is how we enter into his midst. You know, in John 15, it says we're to abide in him, and he is to abide in us. All right? Correct? So prayer is one of the ways we abide in him. It's how we enter into his midst. So uh, think about it this way. In Romans 8, it says the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. The Holy Spirit is really good at praying. And when you pray in the Spirit, you are joining and participating with the Holy Spirit in praying. Right? That's what Romans 8 says, that he, he intercedes for us with groans that can't be uttered. And so we participate in that. And it goes on in, uh, a little bit later in Romans 8, and it says Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, also interceding for us. And then he says, in Hebrews 7, uh, he ever lives to make intercession. What's Jesus probably doing right now? Yeah. And then, in Ephesians 2, it says, and we have been seated in Christ in heavenly places. What ought we be doing? Think about this. I'm not sure that when I wake up in the morning, I just get out of bed, put my feet on the floor, and go, well, here I am. I'm seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Maybe for me to be seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places, I actually have to pray. I have to actually go there. Maybe it's the way we go there. That uh, it's the way we experientially do that. So Jesus is up there interceding, and he's talking to the Father, and all of a sudden he goes, oh, look, Dad, Tony's here. 
because I'm praying. I don't know how this works, but I know the scriptures that we're seated in him and he's praying. I think it's how we take our seat in heavenly places. I think prayer is how we enter into his midst. And I think it has always been the plan that we participate with God in this way. The thing that is the hardest to get the church to do, the thing that appears to be the least effective thing, because we very rarely see immediate results, is actually the one way we really participate with the Godhead. Let me have that picture that uh, I want you to see. Now, this is how the temple was laid out back in the old days before Jesus, right? Still, there's a veil there because we haven't had Jesus to tear the veil yet, all right? Now, you'll notice, and these things represent stuff. So, up here, uh, we have in the most holy place the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, the mercy seat, uh, very holy. This uh, most people believe represents God the Father, yeah? And then we have here uh, the table of showbread. Uh, you could argue about this, could bring other things, but Jesus, the bread of life, John 6, um, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Uh, man does not live by uh, bread alone, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, the living word, I think it represents Jesus. And then the golden lampstand, seven-fold uh, spirit of God, Right? So we have the Trinity right there. We have God the Father, Jesus, the bread of life, uh, the sevenfold spirit of God, the seven uh, lights on the candle. never goes out. Oh, wait a minute. We have one other thing. What's this? An altar of incense. Who could that be? What's incense? Did you realize that way back when he designed the temple, we were represented? It was always intended that we would be right there and do you notice that we're surrounded by the Godhead? That we're in the midst of the Godhead? I think prayer is the only way we actually participate in the work of God. Now, obviously, he also gives us stuff to do, and we obey him. But I think it starts with prayer. I think prayer is how we get those assignments. I think prayer is the way that we participate with Godhead. So, prayer is how we enter into his midst. Now, let's talk about worship for a little bit. Worship is how he enters into our midst, right? He inhabits our praises. We talked about that in Psalm 22, verse 3. Let me show you something. This is fun uh, about the importance of worship. And again, I get some people like worship more than others. Some people like to listen to teaching more than others. It's fine. I don't care. Uh, preferences is okay. Uh, but there's a place where we all have to do all of it to some degree. And worship is important. And so here's where we're going to see this. Um, in Acts 15, what's going on here is the Jerusalem Council. Now, the Jerusalem Council is because uh, all the apostles got together in Jerusalem because um, they're evangelizing out in, you know, Asia. And Gentiles are getting saved. And Gentiles are being told by some Jews that they need to be circumcised and by other Jews, like Paul, that they don't need to be circumcised. And they don't know what's going on. So the whole purpose of the Jerusalem Council is what do we do with the Gentiles, right? And it's interesting because there's a verse that comes out of this. And so they're figuring out what to do. And uh, one of the apostles stands up. I forget which one, uh, but you can read it. And he says, hey... This is what Amos was talking about way back 
in the Old Testament. I'm going to read it to you, 15, verses 15 through 17. It says, And with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Now, and then he's going to quote Amos chapter 9. Now, just so you know, before we read this, Amos was pre-captivity. So when Amos wrote this down, there was still a temple in Jerusalem, the temple that Solomon built. It had not been destroyed yet. The new temple had not been built by Nehemiah. Uh, there was no tabernacle. There was the temple, okay? In the midst of that, he says, this is what Amos was talking about when he said, after this, I will return and will, re and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up. Now, this is interesting. If I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, well, sure, the tabernacle of David has fallen down. We got way better. We got a temple. It's brick. That was a tent. It's got all the same stuff, right? Not right. We'll get to that in a minute. But again, think about this from Amos' perspective. The Tower of David has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up. There's something about this that has to be rebuilt that the temple was not providing. So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. So they figure out, oh, this is, talk, this is what Amos was talking about. He's talking about now the Gentiles being able to seek God. They don't need to come to the temple. Here's the thing. Here's what you need to know. The, the tabernacle of David was unique for this reason. What had happened was, if you recall, they had, the, the tabernacle would move around to different places. And the last place it was was in Gibeon. And Saul had decided it would be a good idea to take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. Uh, and they lost, and they lost the Ark of the Covenant. And the Philistines had it for a while, and they had to give it back because it kept messing with their worship. Remember that? And so David, through various, there's a whole story in there how David brings the temple back. But David brings the, I'm sorry, the Ark of the Covenant back. The Ark of the Covenant, the reason they took it in the battle is because it represents the presence of God, right? So he's bringing the presence back. He brings the presence back to Jerusalem. Here's what he does. Understand this. The tabernacle with all of the furnishings, all of that stuff that was up there is still in Gibeon except not the Ark. He brings the Ark back and there, the, the veil and all that stuff is in Gibeon. And they're still offering sacrifices to God, according to Old Testament law, in Gibeon. But David has brought the tabernacle, I'm sorry, the ark, the presence of God, to Jerusalem. And he puts a tent over it. He doesn't put up a veil. He doesn't put up any other stuff. You know what he does? No one's ever done this before. He goes, let's surround it with worshipers. 24-7, he surrounds, so all you have, the tabernacle of David, is the ark, the presence of God, a tent, and worshipers. That's it. The worshipers of the veil. 24-7, singing and worshiping God. This is what Amos said had fallen down, even though they had the place of worship in the uh, temple in Jerusalem. This is what he said God's going to rebuild. So what he's talking about, he's not talking about the nations 
getting saved and coming to Jerusalem and coming to the temple. He's saying that this worship is what will be rebuilt. The tabernacle of David is worship around the presence of God. He goes, that will be rebuilt. That is how the nations, how the Gentiles will seek the Lord. We don't seek the Lord by going to the right place, the right meeting, getting the right doctrine. We seek the Lord by worshiping him in spirit and truth. That's the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David. Does that make sense? Now, just this is just for fun. But in 1 Kings 3, you can read about this. Solomon, when Solomon is made king after David, he's a brand new king. And as a brand new king, he goes to Gibeon to offer significant thousands of stuff, sacrifices to God in Gibeon. And then he goes to sleep that night and he has a dream, and in his dream, God goes, what do you want? You remember this. And he goes, I don't know how to lead this people in and out. You've got to give me wisdom, God. And God's impressed that he's asked for wisdom and not riches and other stuff. So he goes, I'll give you wisdom, and I'll give you riches and other stuff. He says, if you walk in my ways like your father David did, like my servant David did. And here's what you read. And the very next thing he does, he wakes up from the dream. He realizes it's God. He gets up goes to Jerusalem, goes in before the Ark of the Covenant and offers sacrifices. Make of that what you will. He goes to church. God says, uh, I'll bless you. I'll give you wisdom. You just worship me. You just follow me like David did. He goes, well, if I'm going to follow you like David did, I'm going to go to the Ark and I'm going to worship. I'm going to go to the presence of God and worship. Isn't that cool? It's almost like he's given us clues. The things that are really important to him. You may think, uh, well, again, we know that because uh, the apostles bring it into Acts 15, the Amos passage, we know that's a New Testament reality, the restoration of the temple, or of the tabernacle of David, the place of worship. Just whenever you hear the restoration of the tabernacle of David, just think worship, going before the presence of God and worship, surrounding God with worship. Now, so significant that, watch this, it's mentioned one other place which tells us that it's not going to go away even when Jesus comes again. Isaiah 16, verse 5, this is fun. In mercy, the throne will be established and one, capital O, will sit on it in truth. Who do you think that is? Jesus, where's that throne? Yeah, it's, it's the one in Jerusalem when he comes again. He will sit on there in truth. Now, let's keep reading. In mercy, the throne will be established, and one will sit on it in truth in the tabernacle of David. Isn't that awesome? Judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. The tabernacle, now I don't think when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, there's just going to be a tent. There's going to be a temple, right? He's going to sit on the throne there. What's he talking about? He's going to be surrounded with worship. I guarantee you there's going to be a 24-7 worship and prayer meeting going on in Jerusalem when Jesus is there. Even if no one means to. They'll just walk in and go, somebody start singing. Let's get a guitar. Is Jesus, <laughs> right? Are you seeing this, guys? I don't know 
that any of us, me included, appreciate fully how big a deal it is that we worship and pray. Uh, these are the eternal things. These are the things that they're doing in heaven. These are the things that we'll be doing when Jesus is on the earth. And so, uh, brilliantly, uh, International House of Prayer developed Harp and Bowl Prayer uh, as a way to continually present worship. And just to get started now, we're going to do it forever anyway. Why not start now, right? So, uh, here's our basic guidelines for Heart and Bull Prayer. Now, in a minute, we're going to do this, so pay attention to these guidelines. Please pay attention, because um, we're going to open the mic, and we're going to actually do some Heart and Bull Prayer. We've done this in different meetings at different times, but just felt like it was a good time for the whole church to learn about it. So, uh, these are basic guidelines. You can, you can always add to this. This is kind of like sports and fundamentals. You've you got to learn the fundamentals, and then you can adapt, but you won't adapt well if you don't learn the fundamentals. So... We can always adapt. We can always add. Uh, there's a lot more guidelines. For example, if you go out to IHOP, there's a lot more structure to it. Uh, but we're going to keep it very simple, all right? Basic guidelines for heart and bowl prayer. Guideline number one, pray his word. Take any scripture and turn it into a prayer. And it really isn't hard. You can turn any scripture into a prayer. Uh, just pick any. Now, we're going to pick a couple for you this morning that are actually prayers. Uh, but you can turn any scripture into a prayer. Now, can you pray about stuff? You know, could we just pray for Michelle Harpenbull? Sure. Um, we just like doing scripture. You don't have to. We like doing scripture because uh, it enables us to keep prayers relatively short. We'd like lots of people to pray. So by short, we're looking at 30, 45 second prayers where you pray and then you go sit down so someone else can come pray. Um, if it's a longer prayer meeting, you can go longer, you know, that kind of things. But it allows us to keep it short. It allows us to keep it focused. Um, uh, we don't, you know, we don't wander around. What are we praying for? Well, we're praying that scripture. I pick up that scripture. That's what we're praying, right? And it allows us to keep it aligned with his will. I don't have to worry too much about you praying something weird if you're praying from the book. Amen. Right? Uh, as long as it's the right book. Don't bring a different book. Uh, so instead of just trying to figure out, well, I hope I'm praying according to God's will. Well, if we pray his word, bam, we're there. We're praying according to his will, right? So it's real simple. We pray his word. Just pick any scripture and we pray it. That's it. How many of you believe you can do that? Okay, good. That's at least half of you. We ought to, this ought to work. Okay, here's the hard part. Now, prayer is vertical. We are focused on God. Remember I talked about how prayer meetings real easily turn into talk meetings? I love teaching. I love prophesying. I love testimonies. But this is not that. So when we come to the mic, we are praying. We are vertical. The moment we start talking to everybody out here, that's not vertical. That's horizontal. So we want to resist that. Don't explain why you're praying. Don't prophesy. Don't teach about the verse you're praying. You can do that later. Okay? All those things are good, just not during our prayer time. Does that make sense? That was the hard part. Can you handle that? How many feel like you can do that? Now, some of you are going, oh, I was going to pray, but now, I don't know. I don't know if I can. I, it might go preach. I might. It's okay. Keith is in pretty good shape. And uh, he'll just wrestle the mic back away from you. 
Good? 30, 45 seconds. Now, here's what's going to happen. You're going to pray, and then the worship team, and they're professionals. Like I said, uh, you know, I've been, Rachel and Laura and Javi have been doing this for 20 years. Um, they're going to come up with choruses that you can sing. Now, here's the thing. This is the important part, because uh, it, it, you think this is a no-brainer, but it isn't. Uh, you have to actually sing what they're singing. Um, it's not just you listening. This is how we participate. So Gary comes to the mic, and he prays, for example, uh, Lord, open the eyes of our understanding that everyone here would know your calling, the hope of your calling. And then the worship team begins to sing, Lord, we want to know you. We want to know your calling. Uh, Lord, open our eyes. And they just begin to sing that. Now, our job, even if you're not Gary, because Gary prayed, he put something in the bowl. If you want to participate, our job is to sing what the band is singing. We just sing the chorus. That's kind of like our amen. Now we're participating in unity with Gary's prayer. We're doing harp and bowl prayer, uh, just like they do in heaven. Uh, he's praying. The chorus is being sung. We're joining with the band to sing the chorus. Now it can go anywhere from there. Sometimes it gets really good. God gets excited, and he starts to inhabit our praise, and we stay there for a while. And so they may, uh, they may uh, not open the mic for you know, a minute or two, we may sing that, and then they'll, they'll nod. The mic will be open again, and someone else will pray. And we just kind of go back and forth. And if we get God real excited, anything could happen. People could start getting healed, and they could turn into something else. But uh, the point is, it's kind of fun. We just mix worship and prayer. And so you pray a verse, the band sings a chorus, and we all sing it together. And then we go on to another verse or another passage. It's that easy. And we're going to try in a minute. Now, uh, I want you to also know we've got some of our young people have been going out to uh, IHOP and learning how to do this. And we do this, we try to do this. We have a little bit more latitude in the pre-service prayer time. You can come and practice then. And, and uh, if you guys, you know, start to liken it and start bugging me and go, Pastor Tony, I really like this, but uh, there aren't enough of these prayer meetings. We'll probably start more. Uh, we don't need, we, we got people that can do it. We just need people that want to pray. 